You are listening to Fashion Futurist Podcast with your host, Camila Sanders, and this is Fashion Takes Five, where we take a break and discuss a few key points from the episode. So if you listened to an episode or you didn't listen and you're looking for a summary, commentary, or a deep dive, well, you're in the right place. So let's take a listen to some of the key points from part one of our conversation with Sarah Ali. In this episode, it was really hard to pick out some key points because there were so many, so much good information in this episode. So go back, listen to the full thing. But for now, take a listen to some of these key points that I thought were really important. You know, why is it that when an African is sewing under some kind of small uh, textiles mill, they're called a a garment worker. But then, you know, Savile Row and, and the streets of Paris, they have beaders and embroiderers but then they're not called workers they're they're called artisans and and they are paid well and very well respected and and so I started to see the lack of democracy and how fashion can be a language to engage people but then at the same time how it's caused a huge division from what we're seeing nowadays from the you know the headscarf to all sorts of things like, you know, human rights, uh, modern slavery, human trafficking, intellectual property. There is a way to use fashion as a language and as a vessel to have really important conversations about women's bodies and self-identity. In this clip, Sarah is talking about the power of fashion. And it's almost as if fashion can be used for good and also evil. I remember in 2020, I was interviewed for a podcast and we were talking about ethics and sustainable fashion. And one of the things that we talked about was how people call garment workers as if they're just workers versus saying a garment maker or an artisan or something like that. So it's really interesting how everything is framed and honestly, like you don't even realize it because it's common language in the industry. And so how everything is framed within fashion. And that is in a way to justify the divide that happens. So, you know, she talked about the power of fashion, the power to engage people, Uh, really engaging people globally, locally, like it is a powerful thing fashion can be, but it can also divide with these passive, aggressive language, dividing cultures in a way because you have the global north and the global south and fashion means a totally different thing to the global north versus the global south. And we'll get into that a little bit more and some of the future outtakes from this episode, but let's listen to the next take. Basically, I got over it. I don't buy a lot of fashion. I recycle and share a lot of things with my my friends. I wear saris for my mom's wardrobe, but I do adore it. I do adore it for the protocol, for the self-identity, for the rituals, for the prints, for the detail, for the structure and, and the confidence it gives people. Yeah, but then at the same time, the same robe that people wear, if it says this is who I am, then not everybody gets to be who they are in this society from, you know, um, we're talking about LGBTQ community again to Islamic regimes, 
And all of this is fashion because that's how we identify each other, strangers walking down the road. So it can either be a dialogue or it can divide us and cause judgment. So this right here is a very powerful point. And I do believe that fashion gives you confidence if you're wearing the right thing, things fit you correctly. If you're wearing the right color, like it evokes emotion, it allows you to walk into a room differently. Like it is very powerful, but also one of the things that she said in the beginning was about her practices being sustainable. So one, sustainability is about your values It's not about what you buy. So she mentioned like sharing clothes and getting saris from her mom and things like that. And so that's a way to be sustainable. But like I said, you know, a lot of fashion comes in, it gives you confidence. And the key thing that I, why I brought this point out is because she makes a very valuable point. Because for me, fashion might give me confidence, but for other people, they don't necessarily have a choice and what they wear. They're told what to wear. Or maybe they do have a choice and they choose to wear something that is not always going to say who they are, right? Or maybe it does. So it's about looking at things from someone else's perspective. And so she does mention that it could be a dialogue. Let's talk about it. Or it could divide because we can immediately spot somebody and judge them by what they have on. And here's the next point really became cynical of the whole fashion cycle because to me it wasn't in Africa's interest you know we don't have spring summer autumn winter in Africa we kind of have you know drought and raining season and now we have flooding season you know so this notion of four seasons or collections or discovering, I started to look at it through squinted eyes and seeing that we need to decolonize this conversation. And there's a columbusing of talent and a robbing of culture and identity that it's not in Africa's interest. So I have to admit that this comment kind of blew my mind because I'm in the global North, I'm in the United States. And of course, I know that, you know, in different countries, it's hot all the time or it's cold all the time or, you know, whatever that is. But thinking of things from my point of view, I'm like, oh, there's seasons. You know, I worked in retail over 10 years. Like I'm very familiar with the seasons and when clothes go in and go out and you have to switch it because the weather's, you know, getting warmer or it's getting colder. And then we start to see where we're switching it even more and more and more, right? And so to look at it from this perspective, it's almost as if we've left people out of the conversation. So you can only imagine how things are completely different from another person's point of view in another part of the country. And so let's go to the next clip. You know, if you look at the word fashion itself, it's like when you say you came in an orderly fashion or it's the way you do something. So it's the way... It's, it's a way of being. It's a, it's a spiritual kind of almost holistic thing for me. So that to me is directly related with the Ubuntu philosophy of African values, of connection, of community, of sustainability, of sharing. You know, all Ubuntu cultures, as far as I, I understand, are tribes to be. And yes, there are hundreds of them. And in that way, I will 
talk about Africa as a monolith, even though that often annoys me. But, you know, the idea of a new wardrobe, it's not, again, spring, summer, autumn, winter, or when Vogue says so, or when Condé Nast needs a new franchise in another country. It's more to do with a becoming, part of like a, a, a ritual. So this is beautiful. Fashion is holistic. So I love how she relates fashion to the Ubuntu culture, right? About connection and sharing. And so if you think about fashion in other cultures, there's a lot of meaning behind it. You wear certain garments at certain times. You you go local and shop with people or your mother makes something. Like I know, even when I was growing up, like my mother made certain clothes or there's certain clothes that... I wanted of my dad's that, you know, like his military jacket that I couldn't even fit, but it had so much meaning to me because it's something that was a connection, right? And you compare that to a lot of what happens in the global North that we're not connected to our clothes. Our clothes don't have a lot of meaning. We don't necessarily love our clothes. It's just something that is disposable, that is just being consumed and being thrown away. So I love that she brings the culture back to fashion and connects fashion with that. So let's check out the next clip. Fashion Week is a Western construct. This idea of of newness being, you know, a new skin layer that can be thrown in the washing machine. That doesn't work in Africa's interest because at the end of the day, the dyes for the fashion industry are coming from Africa, most of them. The the cotton is usually coming from Africa. We know so much about blood diamonds and now go to influence fashion houses and jewelry brands as well. This idea of the music, the cornrows, all of these things it's not in Africa's interest because we, we don't have the intellectual property rights on it. If a designer decided to use a Scottish print, you know, the tartan, the kind of crisscrossy, there are families in Scotland that can sue you for using their yarn, their family emblem, their, their print. We don't have that. This is so interesting because you hear a lot of talk about cultural appropriation, right? And we know, you know, if you don't know, do some research, but we know that a lot of what happens in fashion, what happens in high fashion, or I shouldn't even say high fashion, right? But fashion on the runways, New York Fashion Week, Paris Fashion Week, all of these designers, and we see so much of smaller designers or culture from Africa or India or wherever that is taken and that's put on the runway as if it was their own thought and their own design. And so she talked about Africa's influence on the fashion industry, where things come from, like the different dyes, the different, the cotton that we talked about, culture, cornrows, music, like all that is impacted. But I think the key thing is not having that intellectual property. How is that protected it's not protected. The prints are not being honored. They're not being protected. So bringing that out, I think was critical. And so I have one more point because I couldn't, I couldn't just pick five, even though there's a lot more in the episode, but one more clip that I'd love to share. An African designer can't sell to the U.S., 
as easily as a European designer because of the logistics, because how much it costs to send things out because of border control, because of US foreign policy, because of many reasons why they can't send things out, you know? It's not right. I love it that she brought this point out. And I thought it was too important to not share because a lot of times you think, well, why can't, you know, if we in the United States can sell things globally, why can't someone in another country go and sell their things to us instead of there having to be middle people, middle men? And so this goes into the fact that it's not as easy to have access to market. And so this is really deep, a whole nother conversation about the global South having access to market as the global North does. And I think that's a really critical thing for us to maybe take a deeper dive in in another episode. And that's the last take. Hope you enjoyed listening to my top, actually six, takes from the episode with our conversation with Sarah Ali, part one. Thanks for listening to Fashion Takes Five, where we break down and discuss a few key points from each episode. This is your host, Camila Sanders from Fashion Futures Podcast. And if you like what you heard or you want more, stay up to date, join our email list, make sure you give us a review and also share, share, share. 